Dear Shopper Maniacs, you're listening to another episode of Shop Talk Show Podcast, all about front end web design and development. I'm Dave Rupert, and with me is Chris Coyer. Hey, Chris, how are you today? Good, good, good. Uh, let's see. We have so many. We have so many things to do. Maybe we can get to some user questions. But we wrote Actual down a few things as we. <laughs> That'd be ridiculous. Mm, so I don't know. Yeah. I see you have a tweet in here though from one Tim McNamara. I don't know Tim, but it's, this tweet got pretty darn popular from just a couple of days ago. Why is it harder to make a website in 2021 than it was in 1996? Yeah. So what do we think about that? Like, uh, so this was a, a very popular tweet this week. Uh, uh, and I saw some like sub tweets about it. I saw some, you know, like I saw uh, some back and forth and I've even like, this web three thing is getting mixed into it, like crypto and all this. It sort of like, I hated, I, I've, I've, what the hell does this have to do with I web know. three? But it, it's this idea. Like I hated like making sites and react and stuff. And now I'm just loving web three. I have so many ideas. I've seen like posts like that. And so I, I just, I don't know, <laughs> I guess first factually, is it harder to make a website in 2021 than it was in 1996? I mean, now I'm scared to have an opinion because apparently everybody's in the world has had an opinion about this. Okay, okay. But I have one, I guess. I mean, it's that it's that it, that's just super not true. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's just not true. Like I think there's lots more really complicated websites that, and having a reaction to the extreme levels of tooling and complication on the that a lot of people experience because that's their job these days, that comes from like the web being way, 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 way bigger and more ca- capable and just a bigger part of our life and world than it was in 1996. That's not the same, mm-hmm. you know? And, you know, the, the first follow-up, tweet from Tim was, I mean, you know, he says, I mean, comma, writing your own HTML and notepad and uploading it via FTP was a chore, but it was understandable and easy. Yeah, sure. Like that website is just super different than anything that people are working on today. And you know what? You can still do that. Like there's literally no reason you can't do Mm -hmm. that. So that's Mm -hmm. a thing. And that if you want it to be even easier than that, now there's a million other options. Like you can drop that thing on Netlify drop and it's boop, it's live then. So that wins. That's way easier. Yeah. yeah. So I just, I, I don't get it. Like what, what has happened between 1996 that you can't do anymore? Yeah. I mean, nothing. Right. But I, I, for me, it's like the number of people involved has gone up. And so you're hitting like literal Brooks law of like, connections you know it's probably multiple orders of magnitude yeah because it's the money went there and so more people got involved right so so you had to be like okay so now we have to talk to a content person and an editor and you know we can't just put stuff on the internet anymore oh they want to edit that now we can't just sling ftps we have well we can i guess but we need a database for the content you know it, it Gone are the days where I could have a Perl script sitting on the <laughs> on my server right. that would uh, the CGI bin that would literally write a single file. You know, like can't do that anymore. Guess what? That's a major security problem. So, mm-hmm. like, so you can't do that. So we're using databases and PHP, and then now you know you got to put a, a user friendly admin into there. Like, I feel like the 
concerns, numb concerns has gone up. Uh, and then it gets more complicated because guess what? Competitor site had this really cool animation. Well, boss wants a really cool animation. Gotta do that. Uh, competitor had a B had a, has a video on the homepage. You gotta do a video on the homepage, you know, competitor C, uh, they switched to react. Oh, you guys switched to react, you know, like, I don't know. I, I, I'm definitely in the camp. Like I think our tooling has gotten too complicated or creates big barriers. And I, and I'm into more simple tooling and I think we're getting there. I think it's a very exciting time for that. But I don't know. I, I have a hard time saying. I, I wonder if this is just glory days, nostalgia stuff too. You know, which maybe, like you empathize a little bit here. Like it, it is harder now. I, I think it can be. You know, and, and I think it's. Yeah. I think there's some lived trauma when you open the old file, you open the old project, and you try to run it, and Gulp or whatever doesn't work anymore. Webpack doesn't work anymore. <laughs> And you're like, man, I'm gonna, I can't just make the website. I have to fix the gulp or the webpack, you know? I think there's yeah. some live trauma there and it's a deal, you know? But, but I don't think, you know, that's the beauty. If you can, if you can set up a project and avoid all that in some way, you know, you might be giving up a little DX here and there and then gaining it back so big. I mean, a website, a website that's not built with nothing fragile in it like that that you can just come back and just get to work on, that is real satisfying. It's really I'll satisfying. Say. Yeah. I think that anything that complicates, not not all of it, but a lot of it, like like it's like a test or something that maybe that adds to the fragility of the thing. Or if it's that, if it's like there's human processes involved and you can't just you know ship a new paragraph, it has to be copy edited or something. For the most part, those things the net result is like better websites. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like less breakable websites, websites that are more ready for to be ready to make money and to stay online. And once they're on production, they're actually more stable, not less stable, that less mistakes can be made. Somebody can't just FTP over some change you made and have it be broke. That's like unacceptable mm -hmm. in a money making website kind of environment. Yeah. So the things that are complicated are complicated for a reason. And there's a maybe there's too much of it and maybe some of it just kind of snowballed away from us and we haven't like stepped back in a while and looked at it and reevaluated that stuff as often as we should. But for the most part, things that are complicated, are, they exist for a reason. Nobody's like, you know what I want to do? I just, I just want to complicate things just for the sake of complication. I want to <laughs> make it all complicated. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's usually complication is born out of a desire to produce an effect of some kind. You know, I, I'm in the process of like getting, moving a whole, whatever, Netlify serverless, whatever, fully sweet app or whatever over to like a literal mm -hmm. monolith on Docker, you know? And it's like all this complication getting into Docker. But I, the trade off was like all these, like getting something set up with like an, its own S3 bucket, its own, uh, like its own, um, kind of, all these different buckets and all these different sort of uh, servers and databases and stuff that was kind of tedious and fun serverless and stuff like that. So uh, we just were like, you know, let's like simplify and then we'll go back to complex again. We'll go down to a monolith and then we'll kind of branch out again. Um, sounds 
kind of like I just rebuilt the whole thing and sort of did, but like it's helping the end goal, you know? So I don't know. I, it's just interesting. I've just seen the sentiment more times uh, than, you know, and I was just like, maybe we should talk about it. So it definitely is worth talking about. Um, we even have a sponsor this week, HubSpot, that makes a tool that, you know, adds some complication and then removes a lot of complication and brings a bunch of power with it. Let's run that spot. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by HubSpot. HubSpot uh, makes a CMS called CMS Hub. You Maybe you've heard about it on this show before. It integrates with their CRM product. It's a pretty uh, super capable, fancy CMS. Uh, they're launching a contest, a virtual themes contest. The idea is you make a theme for CMS Hub and it goes into HubSpot's asset marketplace. So literally like a theme that other people can use and buy. And when you make that theme, you're entering for a chance to win. And these are big deal prizes like a Tesla Model Y and over $100,000 in cash prizes across different categories. So you make the theme, you put it up for sale. All the participants, you retain ownership of the themes that you create and you're eligible to receive revenue from generating and selling these themes in the marketplace. So it's a perfect opportunity for you to learn HubSpot and CMS Hub, learn how to build themes for it and make money by selling the theme and potentially uh, win money from this contest. So the final deadline is, and it's October now, so this is coming up. You have some months to work on this, but not forever. January 13th, 2022 is the deadline. Learn more and register and get involved today at hubspot.devpost.com. And there's all kinds of other CMSs as well that like, eh, maybe CMS isn't even the right word, but a site building tools, the web is loaded with them where you can go, I would say without exaggerating in 15 minutes, you can have like a decently satisfying website that communicates what you need to communicate yeah. with. I it. mean, Shopify, yeah. you can have a whole store like your own baby Amazon. Just going. Totally. I had a, um, kind of a local-ish artist that I wanted to like help out because their site had gone offline. And I'm like, you know what? We can make a better site. We can do it quicker. We can make it so you can update it. We can make it so you can sell your stuff on there. Like, I just want to help you just because I think your work is great and you need somebody to hold your hand essentially through what, if you're not in this world, might feel complicated, even though the tooling has got so simple. And I was just like, let's do this. I'll call, you know, I'll use the Wayback Machine, grab some of your old content, like, like right-click, download photo, right-click, download photo, right-click, download photo. Okay, let's see. Let's, you know, use this, drag a little image slider on there, pu publish a couple pages, and then, you know, half an hour later, I'm like, yeah, that looks fine. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, I did it. Eh, yeah. done. Yeah, and then and then because it's on a hosted service, uh, which I think is part of the story here, an unignorable part of the story, that that has really helped. That can make things faster. And then, the you know, you're not worrying about security. You're not worrying about performance. You're not worried about, you know, getting hacked into and things like mm -hmm. that. I think that's that's incredible. And the web is better for it. And we're past that area where we are really sad about it. We're like, oh, no, what about the $1,000 freelancer? Their jobs are... Well, that maybe that was sad, but now that's the, in the past. And 
those people found new jobs or something because there's no it's not like there's less tech workers than there were there's certainly more no so. i think you get um you know it, it has changed the world like like these simple things that market's been cut out almost you know and, and um the five pager or whatever that's almost gone you know and and now you're using something like webflow or something it's complicated, like jumping into Webflow. Like we we've used like Webflow experts before, just because we're like, hey, you're going to go a lot faster in this because you know how to do it. Um, but it's just, I don't know. It lets them mess with their content, and you know, it's maybe works. So, uh, yeah, yeah, everything's gotten more complex, and WordPress has gotten more complex. But I think the goal is that it makes something easier. And so you have to find that those paths, right? Like what are my trade-offs complex? I can see why this clicked with people though. Cause you're, if you, you know, if you don't have a podcast where you get to sound off about it and think through all the details, it's easy to just be like, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's harder now. It's harder. It is. <laughs> it can be, yeah. but why? But why? All right. Well, you know, one thing that can complicate a website is when you just slap on additional things in your build to and all that. I'm curious, you're a, you know, you do a lot of view. Perhaps it's your most, your favorite and most authored framework, JavaScript framework, right? Are you, when you need styles, do you lean into the, and let's say you're not using petite view or just like client side only view. You're like, you're like using view components, right? Because view components, the SFCs, single file components, have a style block within mm-hmm. them. Do you tend to utilize the scoped nature of them? Or are you... What I've it? been trying to do, it's hard uh, to do it consistently because sometimes you're just like, I'll just write the style here and then I'll forget to move it, you know? <laughs> That's, um, But I've started saying like styles in my components are going to always be scoped and styles in pages. They should just never be there. You know, although some page template layouts may need a set of styles, you know, but I've always said styles and components should always be scoped. Otherwise I should have a global style sheet. Yeah, I agree with that. And I would say that it's almost a weird default that they're not. I think like the styles should just be auto scoped, and then if you wanted them global, you'd have to put a global attribute on it yeah, or something. Right? Wouldn't that be? I almost yeah. prefer that. Uh, that's kind of the CSS modules approach. But it seems like if you're writing styles in a component, it's a big mistake to write something like body, background, red, or something that's going to apply globally. It's like where are you going to find that? Like yeah. that's a mistake that you've gone so global with that. It should be way scoped. So anyway, I was just curious if you lean into the scope styles and the per component styles a lot. It seems like in Vueland, you would never reach for any other tool to do that. Like it's built right into Vue. It's built right into Svelte. It's built right into Angular in some kind of way. I'm less familiar with that world, but last I looked, that was the case. So literally every framework has a styling solution that they go for um, and not react. But did you have a thought first? Oh, I just, I saw a discussion in our Discord, you know, people kind of CSS modules versus like style components or like what are the trade-offs and stuff. And it's funny because I almost checked out of the conversation because I just, Vue solves this for me. I didn't have to pick. I didn't, like, I just do what Vue, you know, like Vue has what exactly what I want inside of it. And so, right. you know, I didn't have to home roll. I didn't have to bake something else. I just had, I have a a global style sheet 
with some utilities and I don't even use Tailwind. Like I know people <laughs> use Tailwind for this sort of stuff too, but like I just have a global style sheet with the utilities I want and then some maybe just standard classes or whatever comp component or like global component kind of things. Like, you know, like you have table styles or something that you want to be global. You don't want to have like repeated table styles for every single little, or you don't even want 50 table components. You just want to apply a class to a table whenever you want, you know? So, right. And some people might be like, well then make a table component and scope the styles to that. But you don't necessarily always want to do that. Don't want the file. So, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just HTML. Like, why make a component? Yeah. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, so so see, so React doesn't, which is weird, but everybody knows that already, right? There's been a million CSS and JS exists because React, mm-hmm. pretty mm-hmm. much. People want some kind of solution, and they've been battling it out forever. It seemed like there was a wide landscape of it to me. This is just my impression, and then it kind of narrowed down. And styled components has long been kind of like the winner, maybe. Mm-hmm. CSS modules being cool and I like them, but they don't do very much, right? That's just for scoping and like co-location of styles. And I like that light touch. But if you're if you're talking about actual like JavaScript syntax and, you know, I don't know, being able to do stuff like take the props from a component and use them to do styling or conditionals mm-hmm. or JavaScript math or whatever you need, you know, then you're in picking one of these libraries. Then there's emotion, which came a little later, but is, I feel like is similar and also has a lot of uh, super mm-hmm. fans. And that was like kind of the, as narrow as it got for a minute. And now there's all these new player like stitches and vanilla extract mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I don't know, style JSX. So it feels like the, it's widening again for for whatever reason. And perhaps part of the reason is like there's some of them have variants APIs knowing that like, okay, you're going to author styles and then you're going to author variations of those styles, which feels like, yes, we probably are going to do that. And then a leaning in more heavily into like design tokens and setting up a design system like Tailwind encourages, you know, like I'd say, you know, proper usage of Tailwind maybe that's extreme, but I would go there, is to configure it and say, these are my colors, these are my spacings, these are my fonts, these are my, this is my design system, and then you use those, Mm -hmm. that I think the CSS and JS world is starting to be like, well, what if we did that too? That you have to like configure this CSS and JS library first and with your variations and then lean into that in a way that like style components would be like, I don't know, just make a bunch of variables then or something. Mm Whereas these these other libraries are taking it more seriously, but in the end, it's more verbose and complicated. Anyway, that was a lot of words to say. I don't know. I'm just watching, see what's up. I don't know if you're following this as much either. But does it? I wonder if it appeals to you. Like, do you wish Vue would help you with design system like styling? More? Yeah. Um, so I looked at uh, Vanilla Extract. Um, is it Mark Dalgesh? Is that my saying his last name right? I don't know. Um, right, but I think there's it's uh, kind of like whole a whole team, team behind uh, it. Uh, uh, he asked me, like, what are my thoughts about it? And, you know, I think what's – I don't use React, so I'm kind of already out, right? Or I use – I guess I should say I use Vue, so I already have a thing, right? I don't, <laughs> I don't need a new thing. Yeah, and this would say, like, oh, this is framework agnostic, but you're like, yeah, but not Vue. Like, yeah, I mean, technically I think it could work anywhere, but I have – view so i'm i'm good to go um uh the 
what I liked about it was like it creates tokens, you know, like like it's very design token friendly, I guess you'd say. Like every it leverages CSS variables pretty heavily. And I thought that was really cool about it because it, it is kind of more this like sort of what we've been talking about in the shop talk videos on YouTube and stuff like that. This sort of this like system that you just kind of use variables to sort of program and, and uh, create new ones, you know, or create variations. Yeah. So I like that about it. Um, and it would be something I'd look at if I was in like a react world. So, but you don't, you know, that it's, it's funny that that's what it compiles to. Cause then it's like, but you could just write vanilla CSS and like make a bunch of custom properties and just use them. But then it, I, I guess it doesn't like give you the guardrails, right, right. you know, I think that's starting to be not an expectation necessarily, but a bonus of this like next gen CSS and JS stuff is that they're like, oh, they're in TypeScript, you know? So that way, as you're typing, it's giving you type ahead for this design system you've set mm-hmm. up. And it's warning you if you try to use a variation that doesn't exist and mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. I but, think that's cool. I think like, um, you know, I always kind of, I was working on a design system for a company and like, I always thought it'd be really cool to not only just figure out the autocomplete, like set up autocompletes in a, in a plugin or something, but also do like, like make an extension for Chrome that just like you type, you know, my hero and it gives you like hero one, hero two or hero three, which one did you want? You know, like, like it would just autocomplete or like give you all the options. And I guess you could probably set up TypeScript and write all the types and everything to get that, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I'm not taking it that far. Um, I was going to say view three introduced this new V bind in your CSS. Have you seen that V bind and CSS? Oh, is it? Mm. Yeah. So in your little style block, you say like V bind, whatever my prop or my value or something. And it basically creates a CSS variable based on that property and does the bridge. So it'll, Nice. I was watching that like a year or more ago, I thought. So it's, is it every piece? You have to be a little more explicit about it. I think last time I looked at it, it was like every piece of state, like every property of state in a component gets like automatically turned into a custom property, whether you want it or not. And it's just like, well, because then you can react to that state in a custom property if you want to. Like if there's a styling that changes for that state, but this is more like, okay. you Yeah. So I'd say like background color, V bind color and color is a prop you pass in or a computed value or something. Um, yeah, that's awesome. And then it'll create a variable called dash dash color. And when, and just views tracking all of it. So it'll say, okay, I'm going to update color now because it, it needs to update or it got updated in the DOM or whatever, you know, the prop got updated manually or reactively or whatever. So I'm going to send that mm-hmm. and update it. And so I, I thought that was a pretty elegant, like low touch solution. It does create a custom syntax inside CSS, like V dash bind. I don't think working groups are going to go after the V dash bind <laughs> uh, keyword there, but um, you know, it, but no, a little weird, but then it like it, it, it's a hundred percent runtime is another thing I think of, which is maybe light touch. I don't know. I don't know how view 
extracts the stuff, but that's starting to get popular. I mean, that's one of the reasons vanilla extract is called extract is that it, um, they, they really lean into this zero runtime idea, meaning that your styles are not in your JavaScript. They during the build process, actual .css files are produced, and you use those, meaning like that's you know as good of performance as regular CSS is, and it even tries to. And it's not just this one. There's other ones that are, you know, even Linara or whatever was one of the early ones that tried to be zero runtime. I I scoff a little bit at runtime only because it's like CSS is a runtime too, like is running in the browser. Yeah. Like, why can't it just say compiles to CSS? And then it's like, oh, I get it. Okay, cool. It does. It does matter though, because people like when you say CSS and JS. I think in a lot of people's minds, you're like, I don't want to put my CSS in my JavaScript. But it's really you're only authoring it there. The performance of assuming you're using one of these libraries that supports it, the end result is just some CSS. Yeah. The the zero runtime CSS means a CSS file, but it has all the benefits of a runtime CSS, like robo classes and whatever. So I, I, so, but if something's got to react to some state and change a custom property or something, some JavaScript is doing some manipulation. Yeah. Yeah. Some runtimes happening. So, yeah, I, I don't know. You ever, uh, <laughs> you ever feel like you were gaslit by the entire JavaScript community for a few years <laughs> about the benefits of a certain approach, but, um, I just, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm. It's kind of funny to see it all come back to like, let's just make CSS files. So, anyway, yeah, because you know, and you know, I, I just published an article today-ish or something about with the cheesy title like CSS going hog wild. I tell you what, and the, <laughs> and it was just kind of like, let me just point to some of the just some of the like really bold stuff CSS is doing lately. The container queries and the units and the nesting and the layers and the when and the scoping and all that. That's not to mention, I don't know, color changes Mm -hmm. and logical properties. And like, it's just a million things that are happening to CSS that's really cool. Once they're all out, I I would think that it almost is going to usher in yet another one of these roller coastery moments where we're at the low point of the roller coaster where people are like, I don't need tooling. Mm -hmm. I don't want tooling. I want to trust CSS to this because it's the most performant thing. And it can do these somewhat amazing things without the tooling. I, there is, so I should not discount. I sound dismissive. I apologize. Uh, there are some major benefits about a single file authoring experience, which you get with CSS and JS, right? Like, and, and until like literally Chrome 93, you couldn't import CSS into JS so that now you can, but like, and it's not in every browser. So like, and the ability to kind of like use variables to trigger different styles. That is very cool. You know, so I, I I don't want to discount all of CSS and JS, but I, I think it's very I think there are some major benefits to it. Just like that, you can write, you can stay in a JavaScript file. You didn't have to like go out and you know like you you didn't have you know you you're not hunting down twenty different SAS files in your entire build. You're co-located. 
your CSS is right in the same folder as your component. I think that's good. Wow. Yeah, me too, man. And then you don't need that component anymore. Or like you just don't load it on a particular page. Your build process is probably like ignoring it and not bundling it together and not loading those styles. If you throw away that component, it all goes away. There's not like orphaned CSS in some other file that you totally forgot about. Those things are real to me. Yeah. No, <laughs> I mean, that's a huge benefit. And so, you know, especially if you're building in components. So, uh, you know, there's still people who yeah. don't and I don't understand it, but it happens. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Depends on how baby the site is or whatever, but it does, it's starting to seem like it'll get easier and easier over time. Yeah. yeah I'm curious. We were just, we were just talking to, um, or I, I overheard, I guess, Brad Frost talking about, he's like, he like moved host. He's over on flywheel now, you know, high five. That's where we keep shop talk show site and stuff too. Not a sponsor of this show, but have been for a long time. Um, he's like, I'm just going to build my new WordPress site, my just vanilla, you know, PHP, not exotic WordPress site. He's going to do it all in web components. I mean, sorry to break the news. Maybe Brad will never do this. So sorry. Sorry, Brad. Like you're not beholden to this idea, but that was his idea at the moment. And I, I, fascinating, you know, I think once you've designed a couple of design systems for big clients in them that you, you, I think Brad has broken the seal, you know, he's like, oh, I get it. That's, this is how you work now. And I've seen more and more including some articles on css tricks about people going down this road like instantiate web components using like php data and crap at first from your wordpress output but ultimately then have the client take over Mm -hmm. yeah it's a pretty good model i mean there's a small like like server side rendering story with web components where it's not that great like you ship a web component, JavaScript still has to run to mount the web component and or register the web component. And then, then it can spit it out on the page. But there's a new thing called, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, something shadow dump, descriptive shadow dump, DSD. You write the shadow dump. <laughs> inside the DOM. You basically like ship a template inside your web component, which is like, it's actually pretty fine. Like you, you, and and the browser can actually read that template and start doing stuff before the web component even shows up. So, Oh, I see. So you might have to repeat yourself an awful lot, right? Yeah. If you had it in like 20 LIs, you had your card, you'd have whatever 20 shadow DOMs repeated and your light DOMs. Um, which stinks, but the idea, the trade-off there is you get this, you get the free, I guess, render pass. So before the component even. Right. Like, like if JavaScript doesn't run at all, it's still maybe. Yeah. And so that's kind of cool. Like kind of the idea that like these components can start mounting or start doing stuff before. Uh, I guess it can't be a template tag, right? Because there's like... No, it is template. It's like my web component on the outside, my component, and then inside you have template, shadow root open. So you're just saying this talks to the Mm -hmm. whole thing. And then you have your shadow DOM code, you know, whatever... Yeah. Div, 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 button, button, so button. that attribute, does it make... Because I always thought in the user agent style sheet template was, was like display none. 
But I guess if you put an attribute on it or something, maybe the user agent style sheet updated to be like, oh, but if it has this, then display block. Yeah, I think it's that shadow root keyword where it's like, oh, you're going to put a shadow in here or like, so I'll just go ahead and create the shadow and it won't be interactive or anything, but I'll, I can like, I can slot, take that light DOM content and now throw it wherever you said slot or whatever. So there's a way, um, it's just kind of. Anyway, so it seems yeah. like I, w- is, I want to say, let me find, I'm in the, the web component community group Slack here, and I'll try to figure out what it's actually called here. But um, um, I think it's kind of good. So it's repeat yourself heavy, but it, oh, anything would have to. Declarative shadow DOM. That's the word. So you declare your shadow uh, DOM, see. and that is what creates it. So, And then when you mount it, does it re, like what if you... I guess it doesn't have to match, right? It doesn't care that much, or does it hydrate? Yeah, somehow? it would. Like, what if you're? What if it's all wrong? You hydrate. Yeah. <laughs> what if you're? I don't know what the resolution is. If you're like descriptive, or if you're declarative shadow DOM, and you're the DOM shadow DOM you wrote inside your template, the render function, you know, if those are different, how it reconciles, I would assume it upgrades to the. JavaScript version, JavaScript right? Powered like one. I think it right. would probably prefer that. Um, but that's an interesting idea there. Um, but the, you know, that's, I mean, all the web component really does is it looks for a template and chucks your stuff inside that template and spits it out on the page. So in a, you know, like a invisible iframe kind of thing. So I don't know. I'd be curious to see how far people can take it. Um, but I definitely like would agree with Brad. Like, how cool would it be if your website was just a little folder full of components that you take with you everywhere you go, you know? And you didn't have to, like, if you change hosts or you change platforms, you don't have to update that, Chris. You just you have all your little components, and now you just do it a little differently. So, I think that's a really cool way to build a site. You didn't have to set up your new webpack chain i guess you probably still have some kind of roll-up webpack thing going on but you don't have to do it you just i mean i would think a build build process will help this right so you don't you're not repeating yourself manually right yeah yeah that would help so so i i got got a different one for you i'll just throw this because i don't have too much to uh i don't know how long we can go on this but so like what a year ago, two years ago, maybe I was like, I would love to write a, a book about CSS because I have a website called CSS Tricks and it seems like a decent business move, you know, because <laughs> I've never done that before. But I didn't, I don't, I, I didn't want to like write how to CSS because it's been done a bunch of times. I'm not sure I have anything. I'm starting to come around and maybe I do have something to say about that. But anyway, at the time I was like, the world doesn't need an intro to CSS book at the moment. And the site's called CSS Tricks. So what if I make the book CSS Tricks? Mm. You know, that seems mm-hmm. way to go. And I in in uh, I put big old quote marks around the word book because it, I'd, ne- I'd never even really considered putting it to paper. You know, and to me, a book means some kind of paper. But I thought, oh, well, at least I'll get it. Uh, in like PDF and crap, right? And then I just never got to it. But I wanted to also write it the way that I write everything else in the world, which is on my own website at URLs, like using that blog post style format. So that's what I set up. I made a custom post type 
right, for chapters of the book. And I just started writing some chapters. And then when I had, what, there's 15 of them or something, I'd be like, all right, that's mm-hmm. enough. And they're all just literal CSS tricks, like my favorite ones, but like fresh writing about it and crediting the original authors and blah, blah, blah. And then I just compiled all those together at a URL and said, hey, that's the book. And if you want to buy it, you just have to be a supporter of CSS tricks, like a Otherwise, you just see like the first paragraph and it says sign up to read the book, you know. So big quote marks for book. It's just some lockdown blog posts, right? There's a lot of overhead in a physical book, right? Like you have to store it. You have to ship it. You have to like that costs money. So, yeah. Yeah. And every, you know, I had some experience with previous books that I did where we we wrote and designed them in um Adobe InDesign. So it was very exotic what you could do with the layout. And it was very fun to work on. And like 100 times the work of a blog post. Just incredible amount of work. Especially when it comes to updating and stuff and how text shifts around and where you got to move stuff. It's the most fun way to make a book and the, I think the highest quality output. But I was always generous of when I'd pick up a textbook and read it. And I'd be like, you wrote this in a single column just totally unapologetically, you know, just, just like, this ripped. is a column yeah. of text. It's yeah. a book. Yeah. And it, it can come out just fine. And I'm like, it's kind of like the blog post format, just like column go. Mm-hmm. And I don't mind it. I think for tech books, I think it's because it's so quick, it's kind of the way to go in a way. And I was always thought though, that I would get it, at least get it into PDF and stuff mm-hmm. being like, how hard can that be? Well, all you got to do is barf out the content on a blank page, hit, command p and then go save as pdf you know like that's it right yeah how hard is that was it not that well no it's not (sighs) that sadly like it turned out like i think you can but it's you know eh, you know not the best you you get you get automated quality right you get like well you don't even get page numbers and you don't get you don't get like like little headers and footers on the pages that say what chapter you're in and it's just not you know I don't know. I, I wanted to do a little bit better, but I don't even want, I cared a little bit less about PDF because yes, you you basically can do that for PDF, even if it's not the best quality. But what about EPUB? Mm-hmm. EPUB is what like Apple Books uses and a variety of other things, kind of a standard format that you need like a build process for. Like you need something to digest. EPUB is just trickier, yeah, yeah. you know? And I wanted to go there and I finally have gotten it done like a year later. Wow. I had to hire someone to help and they did a great job. Um, I'll talk about that in the blog post and yeah. all that. I just can't remember all the specifics. I want to make sure I get it all right. But it's ultimately they wrote like a make file, okay. you know, that is like take this HTML, which I would I had to. That was a lot of work to get that HTML really perfectly clean and ready for mm-hmm. this. And then it ran and it ran two different PDF makers because there's two different like kind of command line based PDF tools that will take HTML and turn it into P- PDF. But respect your print level rules. Like there's a bunch of CSS that's just for print media. Yeah, like page break. For example, <laughs> yeah, but even like at page, yeah, there's like at rules right. that that do specific stuff. Pretty interesting. So it created those, and they were both really different. 
um, in like levels of what they support and how good of a job they did and stuff. And it was, I'm glad he put them both in there because I, I went back and forth over and over about which one I wanted to ultimately use and yeah. ship. And then it made a PDF and then it made a Mobi too. And Mobi is unique because that's the like Amazon one. Yeah, yeah. Right. And that one's a pain in the butt. Is it really? I thought it was very ebook, like EPUB like, but it's different, huh? It's very different because it, uh, it just it accepts very little styling because it's not, you know, like it's not like you can imagine what Apple Books is like with the, you know, it's with the white background and the page turning things. And, yeah. you know, it'll 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 animate a GIF whoa, in there, whoa, you know, whoa, 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 whoa. slow down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it won't like run JavaScript, really. Yeah. You know, you can't put a code pen embed in there. And that was tricky, too, because my book has a lot of at one point I just because I thought I was like, oh, screw it. I'll just give up. It'll just be online only. I put a bunch of code pen embeds and stuff in there. And then as I started to turn the table, I was like, well, but that's not going to work in EPUB and stuff. So I have two like Gutenberg blocks in WordPress. And one of them is print only content and online only content. So, and then there's just, they just display block or display none each other, depending on the uh, the output format. Yeah. Yeah. Just pretty simple. Uh, and so anytime there's a code pen embed, there's some alternate something mm-hmm. for, for this format. But here's another trick, you know, that classic where you do like your anchor links and then you put a pseudo element after it. And then the content of the pseudo element is like the href of the link. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just didn't have to do that. Because these formats are headed to a digital place where you get a click. the link is blue yeah. and you can click it and yeah. it's like, there's the link. So this isn't, you get to do like slightly different stuff for the ebook world, but it was pretty satisfying and it was complicated. I'd end up writing a lot of CSS, really massaging the HTML. It took me a long time to get it really just right, but now it's kind of done. So now if I do basically do the same thing for another book, I just run this thing again and now I'll have the the e you know the the, the, the digital e-pubs. formats wow well congratulations that's awesome I mean I think we've all written books before but yeah. <laughs> uh, the no that's awesome to hear because I I haven't open sourced it I mean it was given to me as a private repo yeah. and I just left it private but I might talk to him and see if what's worth open sourcing here because it's pretty complicated like the first time you make it like install it has to install all kinds of crap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> to like get it to work at all, whatever <laughs> Linux, like every single package yeah. that Linux has ever made. Yeah, just yeah, definitely some like kind of old school packages and software and stuff. And then you know what you don't get, which I think is changing a little bit, but really needs to get better, is that is the feedback loop. There's not like a JavaScript library you can load up on the page that simulates what these tools do. And then you write CSS to get the output right. And then you run it once to get the final output. So the feedback loop is like change a little bit of CSS, run make file for two minutes, Mm -hmm. you know, see the output. Oops. Oops. That doesn't look good. I probably did it a thousand times. How do you QA like the Mobis and the uh, everything? Because are you like dry? The EPUBs you just drag onto iBooks and look. You know, but then you got to delete it because otherwise you have a thousand copies of the book in there. And do you test like font resizing and stuff and just to see if that like explodes it or whatever? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Play around. And that has left and right pages on like a PDF because uh-huh. uh-huh. like a PDF, you almost don't want the pages to, to, to have that vibe. You just want a, a column up and yeah. down, yeah. you know, 
But on on EPUB, you don't really have a choice. You got to have left and right styling, which means then you're using at page left and at page right in your in your CSS to like control the gutters a little differently. You know, yeah. Indents. Yeah. Yeah. Wider outer gutters or whatever. Yeah. And then Moby, like I just got the taste from the guy I was working with that like Moby just sucks kind of. And like pe- generally people that like buy their own books and stuff and have a Kindle workflow, they tend to have their own little workflow. And if you give them a pretty good PDF, that's all they want anyway. Okay. Interesting. Um, that was just his vibe. And I was like, eh, I don't care. But there is an app called Calibre on Mac, I, I believe, that um, opens your Mobys. So that's oh, what I okay. used. Yeah, I was going to say, I've sent them to my like uh stinking kindle before or whatever like just like files i download from whatever kickstarter i mm-hmm. do or whatever um i was gonna say too like a book apart they do good no shade but i have like noticed like when i read those on my kindle like code samples and stuff are really hard to kind of like see even like there's like contrast but then there's just like the formatting's kind of hard you know um to the extent I've like started buying the physical books, the e- a book apart books again, just to have like the like intended version of it, you know. Um, so I'm yeah, it's all, that's it's all fascinating how it all comes together. So yeah, it is. Uh, so the way that, that you get them, if anybody cares to get them, is it's the same way as the book. Like you can't read the book online unless you're a supporter. If you are a supporter of CSS Tricks, there's just a product in the store for the little the little you know. The PDF and the EPUB. Yeah. I don't even know that I put a Moby in there because I'm so I was so lackluster about it, and I heard people have their own kind of workflow anyway. I could put it in there if I if there, anybody asks, I'll give it to you. But I just was like, eh, yeah, <laughs> wasn't thrilled with the output, so I just didn't even put it in there. It's the same way with the posters. Um, online. we have really um, you can buy physical posters from the CSS Trick Store, and we'll ship them to you for money. But if you're an MVP supporter, you get the posters for free. I mean, for free, you know, like you have to be a paid supporter. So yeah, the digital copies of the posters. So if it's a digital thing on CSS Tricks, we'll give it to you. Uh, as part of the membership for free. And now I'm stoked because now I got the system. So now I can work on volume two and work it. on other crap I want to do. I you know? love it. That's great. You're, you're a publishing house now. You have the thing. <laughs> I've been, so I had a, I might, I might do my, what, how much time we got? We got time. Okay. Um, I might do my first workshop, Chris. Like, or I've done like oh, one yeah? before, but I might do one uh, for a very popular front end mastery series um, <laughs> uh, uh, and, and thinking about doing it on web components. Cause I'm in the web components community group. I'm just a, like a literal <laughs> uh, pawn in that group, but whatever. Um, uh, but like I, I, so the advice there was like, you know, kind of put all your course materials in a Git book so people can follow along or whatever like that. And I just was like, if I'm like, going through all the effort to make like a get book or something like that. Like maybe I just make a book, like write a book or self publish a book or whatever on web components. Cause like yeah. I'm that far down the rabbit hole. I might as well just, you know, like, like right. kind of uh, like see what that's about. So I don't know. And then, and then I have like another uh, half written book for a unnamed publisher uh that didn't quite go through uh about prototypes and stuff like that yeah. so i was just like oh maybe i just make the git book for the 
that one too. Yeah, so. maybe you can publish it with CSS Tricks pr- Press, Dave. I'll give you. I'll take ten percent. <laughs> Um, what's that of of 10% of five what is that (laughs) Uh, no no. but um yeah maybe that's a opportunity here for us to do business but no i just was like man i I have all this i i you think about all the stuff you do you prepare a talk right you did an svg talk for years you prepare a talk like it is Mm -hmm. enough work and like if you were to write it out it's probably getting close to a book length and you just need to kind of pad it a bit. Right. Like I, I, my brain is starting to go there. Like obviously people who write books are (laughs) sorry. It's not just like writing a talk exactly, but like you've done all the research and you, you have, you cut it down to fit the talk. Right. And so you have all this research, all this knowledge, like you might as well kind of parlay that into some kind of book format. I feel like, I don't know. That's, Oh, I totally agree. Start with a blog post because if you can't even choke out one blog post, then your book is done. You know, like just don't even bother because you've already admitted failure in a way and then turn it into a talk if you can. And I think you can because there's there's a million meetup groups and public facing things that are starved for content. So like if you again, if you can't find anywhere to give a talk on your passion project, then that's probably not a good sign. You know. Raise your hand and say you have a talk that you've prepared that you want to give and you'll find somewhere to give it, you know? And then the talk really forced you into some format stuff and between blog posts, probably plural, and a talk, you got all the fodder you need for a book and you can kick it out. Now, that's just tends to be how these things go. It's cool machinery. It gets back, I don't know if that that sell your byproduct kind of thing from like, uh, I think that was an old... uh, base campism or 37 signalsism or something, but just that you're working so hard, you might as well like do a little bit more effort, write it all out. And then you can kind of build a book or something. So, or, or get a different byproduct out of all the other work you just did. So that's something I'm terrible. Right. At Cause I don't know. I, I, you know, I borrow time for myself to like make the talk and then I'd like jump straight into back into consultant work, you know? And so like, I, I don't have like, I don't have that month off where I'm just going to work on my novel or whatever. So, <laughs> like, so, right. I would say that's, that was highly in mind when I was doing this too. And I think it's the byproducts are even more extreme, even than how the 37 signal guys do. Cause mine, are, mine are have URLs. Mm-hmm to every book and every, I mean, they have URLs for their books, but every chapter, you know, it's, it's like web first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the byproduct of the book is, you know, SEO content, at least a little bit. Yeah. You know? I think that's extra valuable. Cool. It, it's also not, it doesn't mean that it can never hit paper, you know, that these things, it's possible that it can be done. You're doing so much and, and like, and then you can also maybe provide, you know, extra chapters or extra, you know, illustrations or custom artwork or something for the book to make the book special or something, you know, like in theory you could, um, there you go. just cause you know, if somebody's already read your post on whatever grids or something, you can like give them a little something extra, more interesting or something like that. Um, when you, yeah, in this case, it's almost bad. <laughs> the something extra almost runs the other direction. Like if you read it online, it's a little more compelling because the live demos and stuff are there, and that's kind of what I lean into in a way. But people want people want the uh, the book format, and 
Apple Books is actually kind of yeah. cool. So you can like kind of do a lot in there. So yeah, videos. Yeah. Definitely early days for this, but it feels satisfying. Mostly because it's been on my freaking to-do list forever, and now I get to scratch it scratch off. Scratch off. The big scratch off. That's awesome. Congratulations <laughs> on the book launch. Maybe we can cap this off with one user question because I think it relates to the first thing we talked about. I'm going to do one from Nick Lansing here real quick. He says, hi there. I'm wondering how you would go about building a brochure website. By this, I mean a site that mainly has company information on it that is editable by the stakeholders and has a contact form. What tools tech would you use to achieve this? I recently took up a project like this, felt overwhelmed by the options. So curious to hear your take. So not much info, not much interactivity stuff except for a contact form, but is editable by, you know, non-techies, presumably. Uh, What's your go-to there? We, uh, it's kind of a joke in our company, but we've <laughs> kind of cut it down to three choices. You know, it's either a... Webflow site, a craft CMS site, or a Jamstack site. Yeah. So those are your three choices. And so what would you pick here? Like that those there's a little bit of overlap. Bit of overlap. Would, Webflow has a CMSC thing in it. Would you do that? Yeah. I mean that that would be my thing. If there if it's high touch content, like they want to tweak the paragraphs and the images and whatever, guess what? They never will. They'll just come back and ask you to do it and invoice you. Just yeah. spoiler, but what they asked for is to up, be able to update the website. Cause that was probably a bottleneck with their last previous client. They couldn't like get updates going whenever they wanted. I think Webflow is a really good option. So, um, and we found talented people who do that. So I would do that if they're like, no, just set it and forget it. Like we just need a landing page or, you know, or, or if you can yeah. convince them like, Hey, I can go build it this way, but you're actually never going to update it. So it's just cheaper to pay me to host it for $0 a month and pay me, you know, whatever, a hundred dollars when you want it fixed, you know, like that's probably the cheapest way. A Jamstack site would be great. Eleventy, Astro, strong competitors here um, on Netlify because you can do the Netlify forms thing. Really strong competitor. Yeah, the forms thing. Yeah, yeah. That's compelling because you get that for free. My history tells me I know what I'm actually going to do. WordPress and Wufu. WordPress and Because that's just what I do. But, you know, part of my, my modern brain thinks like, oh, have you seen Stacked Bit Studio? It looks really cool. You know, I'd probably like lean into that because then the editing story for them is really satisfying because it's you're like, you know, whizzy wigging mm-hmm. in, yeah. in a pretty extreme way, even more so than... WordPress with the, you know, WordPress is starting to blur the lines a little bit because if you pick a really well done theme, they pipe those styles for the pages into the editor itself. And then there's now there's full site editing now. So it's really getting really blurry as to what you're looking at. And I'm just really comfortable in the WordPress land. So I'd probably do that. It's cool though that you, I mean, that's your craft, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So yeah. And we just choose craft because it has sort of like another level. Um, we started working with happy cog for like craft integrations. It's pretty great. Uh, mm-hmm. but they're really good at it. But, um, uh, craft is just, you know, it has stuff out of the box. A lot of the, the, like, like multilingual stuff, uh, really mm-hmm. robust plugin ecosystem that is supported because you pay people money to support those plugins. <laughs> like it's, 
it's not just, it's not, it's a little different than WordPress where it's just, you found some GPL stuff online. <laughs> like, so it's, so I think like, uh, there's like craft is very cool in that regard. There's a lot of, and this new craft cloud thing that they're kind of rolling out with like a GraphQL endpoint and all that, that could be really, really cool. So, um, this is fun for me. I, I agree with Nick is saying there's so many options. Every single one we've talked about is like, Ooh, that would be fun. Yeah. Well, and, and then <laughs> like it's the olive oil aisle at whole foods, isn't it? Cause it's just like, Oh, this is a $4,000 bottle of olive oil. Like why, you know, like what's it got that the twin, the, the $3 bottle doesn't, you know? And so you, you have to kind of walk through all those options. I, for us, it's like kind of, it's a, total joke that we only work on three things because we actually work on whatever the client has, but like, you know, having like just three wheelhouses like uh, that do different things is kind of simplified our whole decision flow, you know, our whole choice matrix. Um, so maybe you do that. Maybe you just kind of have a engineering all hands or whatever. And you just say like, what's our stack, you know, like what, what do we want to even do? What do we want to work on? And what do we not want to work on? And let's just pick three. And so maybe that's your, because yeah. I, I will say if you're in the, uh, we talked about the bottom of the market being wiped out. That said, if you're like a WordPress developer or a craft developer, and you're like a specialist, I think there's a lot of work there. So, because people need a guy or a, a gal, like they need somebody who does it. Yeah. I mean, hopefully this one pager is for Nike or something and not, you know, the bakery, because then they just don't have the budget for your work at all. Yeah. I mean, well, but, you know, that's the long tail of it. You know, maybe you do a few bakeries and then somebody starts working as head of Nike. So that's true. I mean, don't say no to the bakery. I'm just saying it's hard to turn that into a career. These yeah. Days. Yeah. That's harder. But, but I think if you like Chris ends, our wonderful podcast editor, uh, he started, he started out doing websites and stuff and WordPresses and, but he got, he edited his own podcast and he started editing podcasts. Now he edits a lot of podcasts. Like he's got a little empire going. And so it's pretty cool. So that's all I'd say. It's just pretty cool. Pretty cool. All right. Thanks everybody. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, dear listener for downloading this and your podcast your choice. Be sure to start favorite up. That's how people find out about the show. Follow us on Twitter at shop talk show for 16 tweets a month. And, uh, follow us over on the YouTube on the real CSS tricks, YouTube channel. We got some videos coming out and a fresh new batch coming out, I think. And then, um, yeah, go, go CSS tricks and, and get the new book and be a supporter. <laughs> Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think, Oh, follow us on, uh, or join the, the disc, the, 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 the discord over at patreon.com slash shop talk show. Chris, do you have anything else you'd like to say? Mm, shop talk show.com.